Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. Adam approves of my slide. It's a good one. Pretty proud. Good morning. How is everyone today? Uh, what's the best Easter candy? Okay, good. That's all I really wanted to get to the bottom of. The answer is not peeps. Slash, what's the best or worst Easter candy? The answer would be peeps. So gross. So I, I saw somebody post um, yesterday that there was a peeps flavored Pepsi. Oh, no. Star's like, what? Yeah, that sounds excessive. It's excessive. All right. Well, and I think that person liked it, so good for them. I'm looking to see if they're here. They're not here, (laughs) so that's fine. Um, All right, well, my name is Emily Snyder, and it's really good to be with you all this morning. Again, the room sounds really happy and chatty, and we're talking about Easter candy, and I like it. Uh, This morning... As I was walking out to my car, right, I'm talking from here to here, from above, a bird just, and it missed me, and I was like, yes, it's going to be a great day at church. (laughs) So, that's how you know. It was a sign from above, literally. Uh, but hey, we're in. We're kind of wrapping up our, our series this morning. Um, if you're thirsty, or the way I've been thinking about it, if you're hungry, uh, and today we're going to be talking about bread from heaven. Uh, so first, what I want us to do is think about the most memorable meal or meals experience you've ever had. I'm just going to give you a couple of mine really quick. It's 2004. It's my senior year of high school. We get our prom dresses on. The guys get their tuxedos on. We have the entirety of Kansas City at our disposal for where to go for our prom dinner. But it's buck night at the Royals game. So we head out to Kauffman Stadium. We eat dollar hot dogs and drink sodas in our prom attire. And it was awesome. Uh, My love for baseball runs deep. Uh, My wedding reception was catered by a longtime family friend. Uh, Their family did this as a gift uh, for me and Dusty, and the food was delicious, and I felt so loved and cared for by this family who still remains our friends and has been so for now three decades. Uh, It's amazing. Uh, The first time Dusty and I went to a gourmet restaurant, and we ate these little bison empanadas, and I was like, oh, this is good food. Oh, all right. Uh, After every time I had a baby, within an hour of that happening, I asked for a regular Coca-Cola on ice. And I haven't had one since November 27th, 2020 when I had Callum, and I won't do it again because I'm done having kids, and I want that to be my last memory of the deliciousness of an ice-cold Coca-Cola. I earned that one. Uh, 
Dusty and I went on a little getaway. It was the last time we've ever done this without kids. And we were aware that, like, you know, how often does a grandparent say, you go away for a week, we'll watch the kids. So we went away for a week. But once we got to our destination, we got the flu. And we were in deep denial that we were sick because this was our one shot to go somewhere without the kids. So we gave ourselves a day to die. And then we rallied. And we had dinner at this really fancy restaurant. And I, don't re- I remember there was, it was a five-course prefix menu. I remember there were a lot of like edible flowers. Um, but what I really remember is Dusty and I being across the table from each other. And I was like, you look like death. And he was like, do too. And I said, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. So a flu ridden five course prefix menu on a farm in Arizona. Uh, and then, uh, last year at the end of last year, a large group of friends went out to celebrate another friend's birthday. And we were the loudest people in the restaurant. Can you confirm the loudest people in the restaurant? We ruined everybody else's dinner. Yeah, one guy was probably trying to propose, and we were loud, and uh, it was awesome, and I don't care, so (laughs) it was great. These are awesome memories uh, around food. Okay, now I want to tell you some of the most memorable faith experiences I've ever had. When I was nine years old, I walked the aisle at my little Baptist church, I asked Jesus into my heart. And, but what I remember of that is afterwards being in the parking lot, you got to wait for your parents to stop talking, right? Uh, being in the parking lot and thinking, I can't feel my feet touch the ground. It felt like I was floating and I didn't have language for it at the time. It wasn't until I told my mom a few days later, like, Hey, this thing happened to me. And my mom, who is like, not a holy roller at all was like, Oh, that was the Holy Spirit. And I was like, the what? Uh, and it was, it was amazing. And I still carry that with me to this day. Um, learning how to play guitar in high school. I really wanted to learn. I knew my dad knew how to play. And he was like, I'm not teaching you. Here's like the mechanics of it. Figure it out. So I did, kind of, uh, I did, but I remember being in my bedroom and writing like really bad worship songs, but I remember the Lord meeting me in that space. Um, when I came to college, there was this really concentrated season of spiritual growth. And a lot of that coincided with finding the vineyard. Who was here during our midnight oil years? You guys remember Midnight Oil? Okay, so I would come here and it would last, you know, through midnight. And I just remember like the presence of the Lord feeling so beautiful around me. So that's a formative moment. Um, I've experienced two significant healings in my life that I can look back on and be like, this is a story I need to tell. I'm not going to tell it right now because I'm trying to get through this quickly. Um, So two significant healings. And then The summer of 2019, I I don't remember why this was such a glorious time in my life, but it was like everywhere I looked, the Lord was there talking to me. And that's not like a usual thing for me. Uh, So I just, I remember that very distinctly. Okay, so I've covered 
a span of 28 years, okay? Uh, think about the meals that I talked about. I, I mentioned, what, six or seven things? But how many more times have I sat down to eat and it was completely unremarkable? Way more times than I remember. Uh, and on the same hand, in this span, how many times have I prayed, read my Bible, come to church, sang in worship, uh, and it's completely unremarkable, but yet no less life-sustaining? Are we tracking? Okay. So this morning, I, I want us to consider this. If we're born hungry, if we're born thirsty, you guys have met babies, they know how to eat. They know how to drink. Um, most of the time, the food that we receive that keeps us alive, it's not memorable. It's completely unremarkable. And if we were born hungry for God, if we were born thirsty for God, which I believe every human is, uh, most of the time, what we receive from him isn't these mountaintop faith experiences, but it is small, faithful, nourishing bites from himself. To put it another way, if we were to wait to eat until we knew for sure that it was going to be gourmet or memorable in some way, we would starve. If we were to wait to receive nourishment in our spiritual lives until we were guaranteed that it was going to be this formative mountaintop experience, guess what? We would die. We would starve. Uh, so here's what's got me thinking about this. I'm reading this book. It's by a guy named Christian Wyman. I think I'm saying it right. Christian, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but it's called My Bright Abyss, and it's as uplifting as it sounds. My Bright Abyss, Meditations of a Modern Believer. I just want to share this quote with you. Next slide, please. Okay. For all the intensity of our meditative moments, and I'm just going to sub in for this. This is the language I'm comfortable with, mountaintop experiences. For all the intensity of our meditative moments, for all the necessity of mystical experiences that can never quite be translated into the terms of ordinary life. Until our faith is rooted in and inextricable from our daily reality, those moments are as likely to wreck us as to rescue us because we cannot live up to them. Good word, Christian. And earlier in the chapter of this book, he compares living from spiritual high to spiritual high as nothing more than a discipline of memory as opposed to a discipline of reality, like what's in front of you. Uh, it, it makes it seem like our lives are permanently on pause. And it also makes it seem as if God is only able to be known through emotional extremes. And I'm here to refute that this morning. So uh, what does this have to do with hunger? Well, we're going to connect some dots today. Um, food is taught to some extent. I like to cook. 
I make a variety of foods at home. I am maybe a notch above your average cook. I'm okay, not amazing, but I like it. Now, I am raising chicken nugget kids, okay? (laughs) Is anybody else raising chicken nugget kids? I'm putting my hope in the long run. Okay, that eventually, because I served them the other thing. You guys, my son wrote this creative writing piece at school. He's in first grade. And it was supposed to be about your favorite food. Here's what he wrote. I did not like the chicken I tried yesterday, period. It, can, it had pineapple rice, period. It was bad, period. It was coconut rice, so he was wrong there, but... This is what I'm up against. Um, I'm putting my hope in the long run. Because like Adam referenced last week, uh, there's some foods that are handed down throughout your you know, generations in your family. For me, uh, it was my great, not my great, I don't know why I said that, my grandmother's Christmas cookies. Frida's Christmas cookies are, isn't that a great name, Frida? God rest her soul. Um, she made these Christmas cookies every year. And we, I, my mom made them for us when we were kids. And I make them now for my kids. Um, but here's the thing. It's not just the food. It's not just like the recipe that's handed down from generation to generation. Uh, it's what the food means. The meaning attached to the food. Uh, the signals that it brings into your brain are... Um, intangible, right, but no less powerful. Uh, So when Frida was baking her cookies, here's what it signaled to me. It was Christmas. I was off school. I was in Ohio visiting my grandma. I was in a place where people loved me. Uh, There was expectation. It was fun. There was joy. And to this day, I cannot bake those cookies until my kids are out of school, officially on Christmas break, because that's what was handed down, right? The food was handed down, but it was the thing behind the food that was also handed down. So we're going to do a little bit of a tour through the Bible, um, because I find this particularly interesting when it comes to our spiritual lives as well. Uh, we're going to start in Exodus 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, look. I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. And I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. We can go to the next slide, 14 through 15. So when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. And the Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. And they were like, what is this? Uh, They had no idea what it was, and Moses told them, it's the food the Lord has given you to eat. Next slide. So the Israelites called the food manna. It was white like coriander seed, and it tasted like honey wafers. I find the flavor profile here very interesting, because what does Psalm, no, listen, seriously, what does the Psalms tell us? Uh, uh, The word of the Lord is sweeter than what? Honey. Honey. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Fill a two-quart container with manna to preserve it for your descendants. Then later generations will be able to see the food I gave you 
in the wilderness when I set you free from Egypt. All right, we're going to move on to Deuteronomy. Tells us why manna. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Who said that? Next slide. Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted, and he became very hungry. And during that time the devil came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, and now he's quoting Deuteronomy, People don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In John 1, we see that the word is not something, but someone, right? In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And then a little bit later in that same chapter, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And finally, this leads us to John 6, where we're going to land for the day. So the crowd answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? They're talking to Jesus. After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, well, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. But you haven't believed in me even though you've seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. So food tradition is handed down. Faith tradition is handed down. What we see here is it was a food faith tradition that was handed down. Uh, What the crowd is asking for in this story is a sign. Or if we want to recall our quote from the very beginning of this message, uh, they were looking for a mystical experience so that they could believe without recognizing that they were looking at the sign in his very real living face. So I just want to like I just want to bring up two things today. There's a lot here. <laughs> so we're going to just like really hone in on two two things I feel like the Lord has for us today. One, uh, if Jesus is a bread from heaven, then Jesus is our bread for today. 
Um, how many of you have ever eaten so much on Thanksgiving and you say these words? I'm never eating again. Now, if you're like some families, you're eating Thanksgiving at noon, and by 6 o'clock, you're like, well, eating time. <laughs> uh, we aim for like 3, and then it never gets on the table before 7. So for me, it's like the next morning, I'm pie for breakfast, even though I was like, I'm never eating again. Uh, the memory of Thanksgiving dinner won't satisfy your hunger two weeks later when you're hungry. You can't remember yourself full. Oh, that we could. But the same is true of our spiritual appetites. Uh, the crowd in this story wanting a sign like manna was exercising the memory of faith handed down as tradition instead of the reality of faith that was standing right in front of them. So, of course question for us this morning. What is the reality of faith being offered to us right now? Are we trying to subsist off of our most mountaintop moments with God, hoping that they'll keep us satisfied until the next time? And the real answer is, I was thinking about this week, we've all done that. We've all done this. Uh, somehow the narrative has gotten rewritten into telling us that it's the exciting, the spectacular, uh, the celebratory moments in life, and those are what form us, when really it's the other 95% of the time that makes us the kind of disciple that we become. If we're always looking for a sign, if we're always looking for the celebration or the big moments, or if we're always looking uh, for things to get back to the way that they were when you felt you were most healthy in your relationship with God, you're going to miss the meal that Jesus is serving you right now. Okay, number two. Uh, this, is, this might be a bit of a downer, but I think there's hope in it too, okay? Jesus is feeding us when life is really disappointing. When the experience of my reality, like what's happening right now, doesn't measure up to the experiences I've had with God in the past, it can be tempting to look elsewhere for food and drink. Uh, sometimes it looks like we talked about in week one, giving ourselves over to just like other unholy appetites altogether. But sometimes, uh, and I think more often in the church, what this looks like uh, is we, we create an entire spiritual practice uh, around escapism. Um, it challenges our faith to think that Jesus could be feeding us himself on the day we lose our job and the car breaks down <laughs> on the same day. Um, it challenges our faith. And a spirituality of escapism says, well, those two things cannot coexist. But what Jesus is saying is, I am feeding you every day. 
And that's what happened in this story. Uh, Jesus' answer to the crowd, I am the bread of life. It was difficult. It was unbelievable. And it looked nothing like the honey-flavored manna of their ancestors. Um, and after they realized Jesus was like serious, take a look at what happened. Let's pull up the next slide, John 6, 60. Uh, many of his disciples, not the 12, but the other people who were following him, they said, this is very hard to understand. It sounds like an essay that my first grader would write, <laughs> period. How can anyone accept it? And then six verses later, at this point, many of his disciples, they turned away and deserted him. They were out. Uh, they went to look other places, and I think it's ultimately because Jesus' answer didn't compare with what tradition taught them their rescuer would look like. It was disappointing. And if we remember our quote again from this morning, this is where we can be wrecked just as easily as we can be rescued. Uh, is our faith rooted in daily reality? Or is it rooted uh, in our highest moments with God? And here's the thing. Having these like mystical formational moments with the Lord, so important. And I'm not saying don't hold those things near and dear and special to your heart. You should. But they can't be your source. They cannot be the source from which we live. Because they will never compare to the majority of our very boring days where Jesus is still feeding us. Okay, so just practically speaking, like how do we do this? How do we root our faith in reality? I, I don't think we could be lucky enough to wake up and be like, I am now rooted. I am now fully rooted in reality. But here's where I propose we start. Are there other ways to do this? I'm sure. But here's where I propose we start. Start in the places of your life that are the most disappointing. The places in our life that contain grief or fear or betrayal or injustice or thirst. And this is a really tender season to be able to do that as we're headed into Holy Week and Easter uh, to remember that Jesus experienced all of those things as well. Uh, these are realities for every person in the room. We laugh, but we also cry. We believe, but what? God help our unbelief. Um, we have courage until we don't. We are alive, but death is always lurking, especially if you're an Enneagram 6 uh, <laughs> and at the intersection of these contrasting experiences, this is where I feel like my life is the most real. Uh, and it's where I can tell the Lord, I'm afraid. I'm tired. I'm disappointed in you. I'm angry. Um, it's okay to pray those prayers. They are part of our everyday reality. 
Does this make sense? Okay. Uh, I still have some things to say, but I know that there are a lot of people in the room that need to get to where they need to go. So the band can come up. And if you're serving communion, you can also start finding your spot. Um, here's what I want to say. Sitting with the Lord in disappointment, using our difficult places to root our faith in reality, that's just what coming to God looks like. There's really actually nothing like super special or spiritual about it. Um, but in John 6, 37, which we just read, he said, if anyone comes to me, I will never turn them away. I will never reject them. I will never, another version says, I will never drive them away. And I honestly think that that could be the entire word for some of us in the room this morning. Um, if you will come to God in the way that your life is right now, not like it used to be and you're trying to get back to that point, but in the way your life is right now, he will never turn you away. You may have been turned away from other tables, but God will never turn you away. And the words that he's offering us are actually words of life. He's not just going to leave you uh, in this disappointment and sadness and fear and whatever. He's feeding us words of life. He wants us to meet him in that spot, but he's not going to leave us there. So, all right. So the good news is you're invited. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.